Welcome to Black Belt Selling with Stephanie and Anna Scheller. I'm Anna. And I'm Stephanie. We're a mother-daughter team who are passionate about helping you break through those obstacles that are keeping you from making more sales, growing your business, and living the life of your dreams. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash black belt selling there you'll see content we're revving things back up again you're but most importantly you're going to learn about when these podcasts go live so go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash black belt selling and today's guest stephanie you know i always enjoy we have a lot of great guests but today's guest was particularly insightful because he talked about something that is passionately very much related to sales, but most people really don't think about it. And it is the psychology behind buying habits. And so we had the privilege of bringing Daryl Lyons on. Mm -hmm. Um, Give us a little bit, I'll do his intro here in a minute, but how did you get to know Daryl? Oh my gosh, how did I get to know Daryl? I was at a networking event and one of the things we did at this networking event every week was someone would bring a gift, a giveaway, right? So everyone who put a referral into the basket, they would pull one name and uh, the lady brought a bottle of wine and a copy of this book called Small Business, Big Pressure. And I was way more excited about winning the wine at first. Uh, (laughs) And then, uh, then I actually started reading the book and I struggled at first to get through it because I was really, I mean, I was, I was really more into sales than business in general at the time. And I really struggled with the financial thing. Like I did not want to read about what a balance statement was and financial statements. And I just started going to sleep and I actually started, tried to put the book down. Right. So he, he has this whole preface to this one section, right? Um, you know, I know financials are not normally most people's forte, but I'll try and make this painless and easy. And I put the book down. And I was like, I don't even want to read this. And then I was <laughs> on like a drive to finish a bunch of books one month. So I read the rest of the book and I was like, wow, this was actually really painless and easy to read. <laughs> so I reached out to the guy. I just, you know, just to say thank you. I appreciate your book so much. Uh, it really was painless. It made financials easy. And that was really it. We started a conversation from there. Um, and it just kept going and going and go. I don't even remember why we ended up chatting for the first time, but he's been a reoccurring bright spot of conversation in the past few years. Every time I get to interact with him, it's been so much fun. I love this guy. He's smart. He breaks it down in a very easy to understand way, whatever it is he's yeah. talking about. And, you know, He's Daryl Lyons. He is. Well, Daryl is a certified financial planner and behavioral financial advisor who is considered to be an expert in the area of personal finance as well as authoring several books. His latest book, called 18 to 80, was endorsed by Dave Ramsey. Daryl's company, Pax Financial Group, has made the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies in the country. He's an author, entrepreneur, community leader, as well as a family man. Though he wears many hats, he understands what it takes to plan for financial freedom, which was what the first book is about. How do you help entrepreneurs get financial freedom? Now, you know, Daryl's not just anybody. 
I mean, Daryl has, um, he's been in the San Antonio Business Journal, which named his company mm -hmm. Pax Financial as one of the best places to work. And he's going to talk a little bit about that in uh, this interview. He was the nominee of the John Maxwell Leadership Award, recipient of the Small Business Person of the Year Award for mentoring other people. He's also recognized by the state of Texas and Mayor Ivy Taylor. As a community leader, Mayor Julian Castro recognized Daryl for his involvement in redeveloping a part of the city by naming a park the Daryl W. Lyons Park in his honor. This book that we're going to be talking about during the interview is about behavior or, or financial, what is it, financial, behavioral finance, behavioral finance, because this really plays so much into not just how people will buy, but how we buy and sell as well. So we're going to go ahead, we're going to let you listen to the interview, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some key points that we think are really important if you want to become a black belt in sales. It is so good to have you back on Black Belt Selling, and I'm really excited about the topic that you're going to be sharing with us out of your new book. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to see you guys. Y'all are doing a lot of great work in the community and beyond. Thank you. Thank you. And tell us the name of your book. So this is my third book. Believe it or not, I still can't believe that, uh, that I've written three. And the reason I'm a little uh, kind of perplexed because I... I'm not too sure um, why I do that, but I, but I will tell you I have a horrible golf game. And so as a result, because I don't play good golf, I write. And so anyways, I have, I have this third book that somehow I manufactured in my downtime, and uh, it's called 18280. And um, it's everything you need to know about your money from age 18 to age 80. And the way it's built is you know, I've sat down kneecap to kneecap with thousands of people across the country talking to them about their money in very intimate ways since 1999. And, and, um, and then I've studied this area of behavioral finance woven through here. And so the way this book is organized is every single chapter is an age. And so if you were to go to 40, you'd say, okay, this is what I need to be thinking about at age 40. And if you go to 23, this is what I need to be thinking about at 23. 50 and 70 and so it just gives somebody a playbook for how to think about their money and um, I built it just with the idea that I could help people make subtle changes in the way they do money so they wake, they can actually win and uh, it's just tough to win with money right now. It you is. know the good thing I, about um, him being connected with us Stephanie is we have nine people in the family we could easily get you just nine copies of the book right off the bat. <laughs> oh, thank you wow wonderful and, you know, the bulk discount you know it's funny because we um we have i'll tell you and your listeners from september uh 25th to october 1st it is discounted on amazon and that's that's only been announced to um, our clients of pax financial group our firm but i'll certainly pass that along to you guys and we're going to oh, nice. close that october 1st um because well we have to go back to regular pricing Ah, dang it. Well, we're going to make sure Sorry. we get that into the Black Belt Selling Group since this yeah. isn't going to air till then. So, sure. yeah, very cool. Yeah, we'll make sure that people know. Um, well, yeah, just send me a little bit of copy about it. Yeah, but anyway, this is Black Belt Selling, and so you get, you get what you get here. Um, now, I love, I love studying behavior, um, especially behavior that um, results in change. So what are some of the... 
I guess some of the common the common money challenges that people have, uh, particularly in the middle class. You know, we know what the poor people are doing. We hope we know what the rich people are doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the middle class, it's worth defining. You know, there's been a lot of studies on that. Pew Research said it's somewhere between 45,000, 127,000. And it certainly depends on how many kids you have and what parts of the country you live. But the lower class, not an indictment of the character of the, that group of people, but they just have different needs and different solutions. And same with those that have yachts. But the middle class, they have some common needs and, and the solutions are typically common, but they are complex and, and much of it has to do with human behavior. And so we have to address middle class needs because the pressure today is, is a lot. I mean, if you think about your health insurance cost or the, your health deductibles and um, the, the pressure of saving for kids' college or retirement and the longevity yeah. of life. You know, there's just so many challenges. Will Social Security be there? And so these are really middle-class needs. And so there's a lot. In fact, there's um, a study that's relatively new. I would say it probably started in the 70s by a guy named Daniel Kahneman and Travinsky, who won a Nobel Prize in this space. And it's called Behavioral Finance. And it's a collision of neuroscience uh, psychology and traditional finance and what it's identified in uh, various ways is that when it comes to our investing behave investing results um, our results are 13 percent because we may have selected the right investment or we organized our money a certain way called asset allocation or we even timed the market that's only 13 percent of results the other 87% of our investing results, and I'd even suggest your net worth, your personal net worth, is from the decisions that you make. And so those things that we can control, and we have to then take inventory, why the heck do I keep making bad decisions? And how can I change that decision making? And, and there's a certain point where we can only blame mom and dad so much. You know, my dad didn't teach me this, my mom didn't teach me this. And we just have to be a little adultish in this. And so that's what I'm challenging others uh, to consider. And I'm uh, certainly challenged myself because it's not easy. Um, right. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm sure that you guys have seen this over the years coaching people and, you know, the, how the decision making is flawed and, and you have to kind of course correct them, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, you'll, you'll see all the time where, they aren't even aware. I mean, I actually heard a stat the other day that, you know, 80 plus percent of the decisions we make in our life are, are not consciously made anymore. Right. They're decided at a subconscious level and then we just go with it. And so I love that you're taking it back to where are the decisions coming from and making a decision to input the right information to then change the decisions that you don't think about so much. Right. Yep. I was in the sprint. I was getting a new phone. Um, I got an iPhone X and I hate buying new stuff. I'm just really allergic to it, but I bought it and um, I'm at the, I'm at the sprint line and this lady, she's real sweet. She's um, younger, um, maybe first or second job. And she's telling me about the accessories that I can get with this phone, including um, some very nice uh, earbuds and speakers she tells me that the price is uh, on sale and the inventory uh, is such that there's only one or two left and people are always wanting these particular earbuds. And I said, well, I really didn't plan on spending that much. I came in here and I knew I was going to spend some money, but I, I didn't plan on that and I really don't need it. And, and her response was this. 
Well, you only live once. Now, <laughs> at first glance, you may say, well, that's, that's cute. And, but I, I actually walked away and I thought, you know, that, that could be her um, frame of reference and her filter yeah. for making decisions. And if that's and if that's the way she makes decisions, she's going to find herself in five or ten years with regret financially. And so we have to kind of take inventory of how do we make decisions. And many of our decisions are, I hate to say it, rooted in our point of reference from our Facebook friends or Pinterest pictures. And how much does that influence uh, the way we buy things or where we go or what we eat? And the research is clear. It influences us much more than we would have ever given it credit. Right. Right. And it, it makes, so I love the fact that you are approaching this from that. Let's look at what is, what is it that's making you make these decisions? I think one of the other things I really liked personally is that your book, the way it's written, it's easy to implement like one thing at a time, right? Like going through it, even if you're not in the 40, right? You can still just start at the 18 and the 19 and 20. You can. You can. Yeah. So I, when I first, I had a hand, more than a handful of people, about 20 people that were just good people that I had given a, a very embarrassing copy of the book to and said, can you go ahead and um, overlook my grammatical errors and give me feedback? And and one of the pieces of feedback that I got was I felt bad reading it. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I did not want anybody to feel bad reading this. I really wanted help. So I had to actually change the language. And what I'm hoping is that you get some, you, you get some nuggets that's just enough to implement, but you don't feel discouraged because there is hope. And I've, I, again, I've seen so many people in sixties and seventies and, and even I've to- so many people in their fifties come to me and say, man, I'm so far behind. And I look at them, I go, no, we can get this thing done together and and it's and there's some decisions that need to be made and maybe some sacrifices but this can get done and there is hope for example somebody who's 65 they may say you know i i haven't saved enough and and i looked at how much social security will be when i'm 66 and uh, i'm debating on taking it at 66 or 70 and i still can't get a handle on whether or not this is uh, going to be able to pay my basic necessities well we that's okay. Maybe we, maybe we drive Uber. Maybe we deliver Amazon. Maybe we look for a side hustle, a little side gig. But there's good that comes with this. And here's why. When we are living with a purpose, and maybe that purpose is uh, in our vocation when we retire, uh, the, the research has been clear. Those that have a purpose and, and that are fighting in, in the second half of life, the, the research is clear. They're living seven years longer. Those that just go to Fox News and Flower Beds, Nothing wrong with either of those, but they actually have a miserable life. They're not happy and they, they die sooner and cardiac arrest goes up. So uh, my point in all that is saying every age uh, has hope. It's just you have to recreate the way we're thinking and work through some of the challenges. But I wanted to, I wanted to create the book to where, you know, you just open the book and you can say, okay, I can do this. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, gl- I'm glad you felt that way when you read it. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I think you, I think you hit it. Cause that was, I mean, my going through it, I was like, wow, this breaks down. Everyone says start earlier, right. And being young, uh, well, relatively young still, I've got gray hair now, you're young. Young. but yeah, <laughs> you're still young. But Everyone's like, Oh, can you imagine where I'd be if I'd started when I was your age stuff? And that's so hard because then it's like, no, I really can't imagine where you'd be. 
<laughs> and I don't know what to do. So I'm just not going to do anything. And your book makes it like, oh, okay, well, what? all right, we'll start with this one thing. All right, let's add this thing. Like it, I thought it was great, actually. Well, it does. It can get paralyzing. Uh, the first thing that I, I try to articulate to somebody, uh, I do this early in the book because the uh, the idea of budgeting is a bit overwhelming. And so, you know, you may say, well, hey, at 19, Daryl, why didn't you talk to them about budgeting? And I wrestled with that, but a lot of 19, 19-year-olds really aren't into budgeting. And so I just kind of hit them where they're at. And so 18 and 19, I talk about um, just creating a new habit. And, and that habit I want you to have, and we can all implement this now, is creating a pause in our purchasing and just pausing and thinking about it. Do I need it? Do I love it? Will it make me money if it's a business decision? And just uh, taking inventory of that because what's crazy right now is the middle class in particular is getting killed with marketers. Marketers, yeah. in fact, if you go into a... a if you go to certain appliance stores, the puff of the smell of apple pie increases sales 23%. If they give you chocolate before you go into a store, it's more likely you buy. I mean, they're putting uh, Disney ads on your kids' um, uh, iPhone uh, apps, and they're begging you for the, the, to go to the Magical Kingdom. I mean, it's just the middle class is just being murdered with uh, marketers, and so we in the middle class have to just say, okay, whenever I'm going to one click pay, I mean, there's no more friction in our buying anymore. No more breaking of 20s. Nope. Right. And, and it's optical purchasing. It's one click pays. It swipes with debit cards. If we can just add a degree of pause in our purchasing, what we will find is that pause gave us just enough to delay to make a more rational decision. Collectively doing that changes the neural pathways in our brain and creates new habits of the way we do money. As a result of creating those new habits, we will find ourselves in the middle class having some extra money at the end of the month to give, to save, and to, and, 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 um, to pay down debt, which right now you can't find the money because it's all on Amazon. And so we... <laughs> That's true, though. I, I mean, can I'm, laugh because I had to. I had to take the app off my phone for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> Those stupid things would pop up and be like, "Stephanie, there's a discount on something you've looked at recently," and I'm like, "Oh, what's up?" <laughs> it's nuts. We're getting killed, and you. We all laugh every time I've told somebody this. They're like, "Yeah, I'm. I mean, I just bought three somethings, and I don't even know what I bought." Yeah. And, and, and what's happening, if you think about this, it's, it's all of us. I mean, we're all guilty of oh, it. Yeah. That oh, you get yeah. this dopamine burst. It, you know, QVC really was the precursor to Amazon uh, quality, value, and convenience. And what it did is it focused in on an older demographic because what they got was they got a dopamine burst, a sense of love almost at, at, that, that they were missing. And then when the box was delivered, they opened it up and they got another dopamine burst. Yep. And then they needed to keep oh, doing it. And that's now happening to all of us in a different format called Amazon. And so yeah. we have to take inventory, just pause and step aside from those addictions. And then we'll realize we have a little extra money left. It's just right now it's at Amazon. You, you know, it's, we are, you are, you've heard of Mike Michalowicz, right? Do you know uh, yeah, him? I have, yeah. I've okay. been on his podcast before. Okay. So, um, yeah, and you'll see him again for the grow retreat, but, but, um, you're, you're right. If you do have to plan, I mean, let's face it, I'm in my fifties and, uh, thankfully my Amazon app does not pull that stunt on me apparently. <laughs> um, 
but, but it's pay. just so true. It's so true. You know, one of the things that I'd like to cover um, in this conversation today is what are five behavior money mistakes that we need to recognize? So one of them obviously is uh, paying too much attention to Amazon apps. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that's one, you know, that that would be, I think there's about a uh, last last, I don't check it often, but I did psych today had a study and said there's about 117 uh, financial be behavior uh, biases wow. that we have. And um, uh, I guess they called conditions maybe. And so it's a really interesting study, but uh, one of them would be certainly uh, leaning on what I talked about with a um, sprint uh, a representative leaning on heuristics or rules of thumb. Yeah. that that aren't yeah. you know that aren't rooted in being rational uh just, and so where do we get these from and sometimes it's our upbringing and we just grab onto something and we just kind of cling to it another one's just overconfidence um you know i you know I remember when i was um on, under i guess it was i was in my 20s and i had a couple degrees in this i one in accounting one in finance i became a certified financial planner so i knew uh, in my mind i knew a lot about finance but i uh i went and i checked out a bmw convertible and the smell of the leather it was so beautiful and <laughs> i have i bought it and i didn't think i just wanted it and it was i never forget it was 700 over 700 a month in payment Ooh. and and uh I, of course I didn't pay cash. Right. And I, and I knew, like, I knew this, I knew math, I knew debt. <laughs> so, but I was overconfident, right? I was, I was like, that's a, you know, that's yeah. dangerous. And so I was overconfident. And in fact, at that time, that was before I became a big fan of Dave Ramsey. I thought Dave Ramsey was for those that don't know money, but I'm sophisticated. I know all this about money. I thought he was for the other people. And, and it wasn't shortly after that I said I, I started buying everything Dave was selling. I was like, "This is this is about behavior." Um, but right. overconfidence is one of them, and certainly heuristics. You know, we all have emotional biases we have to take inventory of. Um, you know, I had a friend who bought a pool, and because she grew up with a pool, and um, oh wow, she didn't have the money for it, but she went ahead and borrowed a lot of money to get that pool. And I think, you know, it would probably been a good idea because they, they didn't have a lot of income. So their total um, debt load became pressure on their family where they had to do some part-time work to make ends meet. But she had to take inventory of why she wanted that pool so much. And she probably could have recognized that, you know, this is something that I had when I was a kid and that's why. But she didn't have to do it. It wasn't a rational decision. And so those are some emotional biases we have to, we have to check out. We have to check out selective perception. You know, that's another bi the uh, behavioral finance term. You know, do we, do we go data mine for information that supports our theory? Uh, this happens a lot when people think the market's going to crash. They think the market's going to crash and they read everything they can about the market crashing to support yeah. their own theory. And then the other one I just want to mention, this may not fall in that realm, but is the gender gap. You know, the reality is women are better investors than men. And, you know, I think taking inventory and try to understand why is that and why are they making decisions that women are, are less likely to um, pull out of the market when the market goes down than men. Men will tend to pull out and, and there's reasons for that. But 
but I think, you know, working together with a spouse because we have different inclinations of how we do money is, is helpful. Just saying, you know, okay, I, I'm going to listen to my, my partner in crime a little bit because she has uh, an opinion that's valued. And so I think those are all kind of, uh, that falls in the behavioral uh, finance world. And I think all of those are very important. And that's just kind of a glimpse of what's out there in terms of uh, behavioral finance. That's awesome. And I love the fact you talked about, you know, bringing the spouse on, bringing somebody else on, you know, when you're making big decisions financially and, and the little decisions are what add up to the big decisions, having someone to help balance that and respecting their input, I think goes a long way with balancing some of our natural biases. It does. I'll talk a bit about the um, aging population, the baby boomer group. That's the fastest growing demographic of divorce in our country. Mm. And the problem there is that uh, we've uh, created as um, husband and wife over the years coping mechanisms to deal with money. Um, and, and that could be separate accounts or that could be um, just don't tell or just you know buy stuff without telling your spouse. You know, all these little games that we play, but they're coping mechanisms. And then you know, when you retire, um, the, 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 let me say it this way, the day that people spend the most money out of every day of the week is Saturday for obvious reasons. Right. Well, when you retire, every day is a Saturday, right? Yeah. And so now you can't cope, you can't use coping mechanisms anymore because the rules in retirement have changed. Not only are you spending more time together, but now there's spending patterns that change. And so I think it's really key for people to spend time now setting aside some of these coping mechanisms and having some adult conversations and there's wisdom in the council of advisors if uh if there are challenges with couples having these conversations then that's what marital counseling is so valuable for or hiring a coach that can walk through that uh conversation with you so getting other people involved to maybe be a mediator is really important but not just having coping coping mechanisms that mask these problems because they will surface later in life will um and you know for those people who are maybe struggling with this kind of thing i'm i'm gonna just kind of lay a couple of things here out for folks that um as our business changed and grew and we started to have some struggles i began to realize that some of the things i was doing wasn't working and i had to bring my husband more and more into um the business decisions and at first it was scary I'm going to be honest with people. It was really scary because I didn't know how he would react based on previous things that had happened. And what has ended up happening is that now we have it. Your financial behavior really impacts your marital relationship, your, your friendships, your into, I mean, finances is not a separate thing from who we are. It's an integral thing to who we are. And um, when you can start to come to grips with some of these things and begin to understand them and make the changes necessary, you're going to find more openness and honesty in your other relationships as well, because our relationship with money is so, is so uh, foundational to who we are. It is. That's a great point. And it's a, a, a good a good word to those that are struggling with those decisions. You know, I, I read the Bible. Um, you guys know that. And there's over 3,000 scriptures of money. So whether you think the Bible is a history book or the uh, inerrant word of God, uh, it, it's it's in our history that money has been an important part of who we are and the exchange of goods and services. And so we know that that the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. That's um, right. that's That's important to differentiate. But But we can't, 
ignore money. We've got to recognize that historically, uh, humans and money and currency and transactions have played an integral role. And we've got to be very uh, mature about having very difficult conversations. But uh, ignoring it is not the answer. And, and then taking inventory of some of our behaviors and biases. You know, again, not a lot of us had parents that sat down and ta- taught us about money because they were trying to figure it out themselves. Yeah. And so we've got to start learning and relearning even at any age really and say, what, how can we make good decisions? And I'll tell you one thing that you can do. Um, there's a list of filters that I put in the book of um, whenever you're making a difficult decision, there's 10 filters uh, that you can use instead of, hey, you only live once. This is different. Um, one of the filters would be, um, did I ask a child, a friend, and a sage? And the reason that that question is important is because if you are making a financial decision and you can articulate that decision to a child in a simple way, then you've grasped it pretty well. Uh, and then if you can ask a friend, somebody who knows you, and then if you can ask a sage, somebody who's wise, then collectively you should get an answer that's more rational and not emotional. And so that's one filter that would be better than, hey, you only live once, right? I feel like you only live once becomes an excuse for spending and doing a lot of stuff that um, that we might not otherwise step up because we don't want to, especially for millennials, right? We see all the baby boomers who you know, saved all their money and then didn't have money anyhow, or they're dealing with so many loans and they're never going to get out from under it. So may as well, you know, and it it just becomes a, I'm not going to deal with an uncertain tomorrow. Right. That's right. That's uh, right. And I think it just backfires pretty badly long-term because you end up, I just remember breaking down in tears, driving home from work one day, realizing, you know, I'm 25 years old. How did this happen? I had all these dreams. My parents raised me on rich dad, poor dad. I was going to be a millionaire by 22, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I I didn't make those decisions. And now what do I do? And it was, that was my turning point. And I would love to hope others don't get to that. But if they do, but if they do, there is hope. And the thing is, is people will. We're having this conversation because people do, because it's a reality in people's lives. And people who go into sales, because we are a sales show, they go into sales maybe with the intention that they're going to solve all their problems just by making more money. But the problem is not money. Right. The, the, The challenge is not, it's not the money. It's how we interact with money. Yeah, it's a good point. And would you be opposed if I shared a little bit of behavioral finance issues that might be troubling to business owners? Yeah, no, that's that's a great, great place to go. Yeah. So um, there's a lot for, you know, I've had a business for a number of years and, and to give a degree of credibility only to bend the ear a little bit more. We've been one of the best places to work and um, one of the fastest growing companies, according to Inc. Magazine in the country. And um, we have an awesome team, a collective group of people that are really rock stars. But it's not, it's certainly not easy to um, navigate the money world and the employee world and all that. Well, I think that, I think one of the key elements of being a business owner that I've seen over the years that helps is beginning with the end in mind, which is an old Stephen Covey saying, right? And what happens for many business owners is we don't really have an idea of how to exit the business. And so, it's very important if you're a solopreneur, I'm going to actually address you first or, or our lifestyle business. 
Um, a lifestyle business or a solopreneur is certainly attractive and there's so many good qualities about that. But think about, think about trying to create something that is transferable to somebody else that has a quantifiable value. And that could be a brand, but it's a lot of times relationships are reoccurring cash flow. And so I think beginning with the in mind says, I've got to create something that's transferable and that may be changing the name. Um, I've worked closely with Dave Ramsey's team and, you know, it's hard to unwind Dave Ramsey right now. I'll tell you, I mean, he, you know, you've seen personalities come out um, where he's trying to, you know, diversify, but it's still Dave. So creating an asset that's independent of a name is, is a, an important step and that's tricky to do. The other thing, beginning with the end of mind, again, this is an attitude if you're a business owner with brick and mortar or maybe even W2 employees, is this is really key. Having three years of increasing net income. And I know that's, that's a little simplified, but it's really a good starting point for many business owners is creating a business that has accelerating positive net income for three years is much more attractive to an acquirer than, you know, than a, than a good name or a, a, a clean office or a bunch of customers. It shows a trend and they want to jump on that trend and be able to take advantage of it. So those are a couple of things that I think that might be helpful for your audience, but it all starts with an attitude, begin with the end in mind. Does that make sense? Yep. It, it really does. It really does. Um, I think that so many times, especially mom and pops, the, the, I guess the traditional thing is, well, I'll just turn this over to my kids. And I have to tell you, we've had seven. Stephanie is the second of seven children. And uh, I haven't had one yet that said, yeah, mom, I'll take it over. Yeah. I haven't had one yet. And so, you know, that, that's a very real, but, but see, that gives, I think, I think what you're trying to say too is that also gives us vision and it gives us something to work toward, which gets back to really what you were saying toward the beginning, which is having purpose. We have a purpose. The purpose is not just to make money. There's a purpose. Well, there is. And, and, you know, sometimes it's difficult to find our purpose and there's been some great books and a lot of content on purpose and you guys are good at helping unpack that. One way people can find purpose is in the climax of their life story. So if they have been through something difficult and maybe somebody helped them or maybe somebody didn't help them, but in the climax of their life story where they had the most pain or the most triumph, it's in that story. See, I don't think any story is wasted. That's my opinion, but it's also Romans eight twenty eight, right. and so um, it's it's important to take inventory of the of your life story. And in the climax of your life story is where you will find a story of purpose. And I was walk I was talking with a guy, a very successful attorney, about this, and I said, "What's the climax of your life story?" And he said, "His dad, his uncle came along and pulled him out of poverty and gave him an education. And without his uncle, he wouldn't be where he's at today." So I said, well, then that's where you give back. That's your purpose. And he said this with tears, a very strong man. And so in the climax of your life story, uh, that's where your heart's broken and that's where you're able to help others and make a bigger impact. Wow. That's I don't know beautiful. what you would follow that up with. That's really, that is really beautiful. Um, Daryl, for our listeners who are interested at this point, where can they go to get a copy of uh, 1880? So certainly Amazon will have it. Um, if you go to paxfinancialgroup.com slash pivot, um, I put it on there and then I, ha I usually have a few little perks on there. Like one perk I have right now is a video that, um, that 
answers the question, will social security be there? Uh, and then I have a few, I, I kind of keep it live. So I'll add a few things from time to time. So if they go there, they can see the perks or they can go to Amazon, but that's PAX financial group, PAX financial group.com slash pivot. Okay. Got it. We have awesome. it. Well, cool. Well, this was, it's always such a pleasure chatting with you, Daryl. I'm so excited to hang out with you in January. Yeah. Thank you. It'll be here before you know it, right? I know. There's so much to do. So everyone's like, I can't wait. I'm like, I can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> can or can't. It's coming. So You're right. Um, well, thank you for taking time to oh, share with you. our audience. Um, this is such an important thing because I think that these things drive a lot of what we do, how we make decisions, even why we're in business or why we're in sales. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and writing this book. Obviously, The Zen of Golf is probably not on your reading list, but... No, sorry. I, not for me. I've got... If, every, if anyone asks me to play golf, I've got plenty of people in my office that'll take my place. <laughs> well, oh, well, thank you so much for joining you, us today. This great. Thanks, y'all. Bye-bye. You know, Stephanie, I have to confess, I, I kind of felt like Daryl was reading my mail. I don't know about that. It was at times I thought, oh, oh no, oh my gosh, I think I do that. I think I've seen other people do that, but mostly I've seen myself do it. So what were a couple of the ideas that you thought were really key, especially for our listeners who are black belts in sales? I think one of the big key things he talked about, and this applies to whether you're trying to get people to buy or you are looking to get control of your own spending habits because most of us are in sales because we want to make more money. We want to live bigger, broader lives, right? Sales is a great way to make more money. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is still Mark Cuban saying that, you know, hey, if I lost everything today, I would go get a job in sales tomorrow. Um, so I think Daryl helps break that down. But I think one of the things that he talked about that really stuck in my head was how he's he studied this behavioral finance and he studied our subconscious buying, right? He talks about, mm -hmm. um, what did he say? The middle class is being murdered by marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Like we don't even make our own decisions about what we're going to buy most of the time. And that as a salesperson is important to keep in mind. But I also mm -hmm. feel like it's important to keep in mind when you're selling. It's also important to keep in mind when you are buying. Yeah, I, I think we have to, and I get, it really gets back to a lot of things that are really germane to sales, which is that sales, um, sales is really um, a subconscious decision. We like to think we're in control, but really our, our brain is not so much in control as past experiences, uh, past yeah. our beliefs systems. All of those things are really super important when we consider sales because because we're influencing people to buy. So not only do we need to be aware of how we are influenced by our subconscious, we need to be aware of how our sale, our buyers are being influenced subconsciously. And, you know, he made a really, we, we talked a lot about the middle class. The middle class seems to be the ones that are squeezed, if you will, in this whole marketing, selling, buying thing. And probably most of us are selling to the middle class, you know? So we need to be aware of, of how the middle class is being affected. And even little things like 
they don't see the money that they have because they're they have that little Amazon app that's working right I don't know why I keep getting jabbed on this one um, but I, yes, don't, I don't use my Amazon app so I don't know what your problem is but anyway. it's true well and the, the, <laughs> the hard part is right I so I actually went in and set up Notific notifications on my account. So I get notified every time a, a withdrawal over $25 is taken out on the credit card or the debit card. And it's because it's not so much that I need to track it. Like, um, I do, I do overdraft accounts every so often, mostly just cause I get like, you know, harebrained and forget to move money. But, um, that happens when you have like business accounts and personal accounts. I yeah. understand. Um, but it's more <laughs> because it started to really teach me to get be aware of when I'm spending money I, I just remember um at one point in time I don't remember what what made me do it but I was going through all the credit card statements and just for the company like adding up all of the under a hundred dollar charges right so you've got a ten dollar charge here and a fifteen dollar charge there and a nine dollar charge here and a seventy five dollar charge here and and all of the reoccurring monthly charges and we're running a thousand dollars a month just in reoccurring charges. And, and this was, I mean, this was back, this was a while ago. Cause I remember thinking, Holy crap, that's like, I think it was like 7% of the monthly income. I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, right. I cannot be spending that much money on. And some of it was just, it was those little things that you never go in and cancel. You're not using, but you don't go in and cancel. Right. Right, right, yeah. It, it adds up. It really, truly adds up fast. And you probably don't think about it. So you probably think, well, I'll pay that off later. It's just a little bit of money. Now, something to think about that Daryl brought up, you and Daryl particularly, and we really want to encourage you, get this book, 18 to 80. It's divided by chapters simply by age. But one of the things that he encourages people to do, and this is a great, this is a great technique to use with your clients so that you make sure that you're absolutely giving them the very best and they're not going to have any regrets moving forward, but also that you don't have regrets moving forward, and that is the pause talked about the pause the importance of stopping yeah. for a minute really thinking about what you're doing now as salespeople what's going to happen to us is let's let's flip this on the other side as salespeople will think well if I do if I buy this this is going to help me here if I buy this and what we do is we create additional expense for ourselves that may not be necessary. I can't tell you how many times I remember this one time and I won't say who the vendor is, but I thought I was buying something for $27. And then of course the pop-up came, why don't you do this? But before I knew it, I'd spent $327. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how did I do that? But I did it because I thought, so you, the pause, it's going to help you be the very best salesperson for your customer, but it's also going to help you rein in expenses because you're not in sales to go spend all your money and then some. You're in sales to make money, to be able to bless your family, to be able to take care of the things you need to. And I'm going to say something else, to be able to give away and be a blessing to other people. Our money's not for us to use all on our own. And that can be hard for us. And I know Daryl, because Daryl is a Christian, he would agree wholeheartedly so we want to encourage you uh, this is the week that the book goes I believe the hard copy it's available on Kindle so if you have a Kindle you know go to Amazon and go ahead and uh, look for 18 to 80 the numbers 18 the uh, 2 80 
look that up. We really want to encourage you. If you really want to get a hold of your own spending and you want to understand more about your customer, this is a great book. Plus, I love the fact that Daryl's going to be one of the speakers at the Grow Retreat in 2019. So if you're in Texas and you are curious about it, we want to encourage you to go ahead, check that out. We'll put that in the comments so you can go check it out. See if this is something that is worthwhile for you because we're going to be there and Daryl's going to be there. Daryl's going to be there. Really cool people Ooh. are going to be there. So right. if you're cool too, maybe look into joining us. Well, why don't but you close us out, cutie? <laughs> I do want to encourage you guys, everyone out there, you know, we are all, uh, we are all working. We're working our butts off. We're struggling. We're fighting every single day. And I want to encourage you to keep in mind, keep the end goal in mind. You know, sometimes you go through the peaks, sometimes you go through the valleys, but what's going to keep you going is understanding where you are going and why you are going there. So stay focused keep yourself going, watch that mindset, make sure you're staying positive about what you're yeah. working towards because it makes all the difference in the world and go out there. Make it a freaking awesome week, y'all.